Thanks for coming back for another episode of Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. On today's NRL-flavoured discussion, we have a look at the state of play of the competition at the completion of Round 7 and discuss whether there are any surprises that have come forth in that time. And in this week's talking point, I throw up a couple of ideas about whether the game of rugby league is being destroyed as a spectacle by the intrusion of the video replay and the decision-making process that comes along with watching every single second of play in the slowest of slow motion. All that is to come on Thoughts from the Metal Cabin. After seven rounds of the NRL, despite some results that could be nominated as surprising, the makeup of the latter is, so far, as predictable as one would have imagined. At the start of the season, there appeared to be six locks to finish in the top eight, and at the moment, all six are in the top eight, even if Canberra are, somewhat surprisingly, only currently there on percentage. All of Penrith, Melbourne, Roosters, Souths, Parramatta and Canberra hold their spots, leaving the two other spots still open for contests. At the other end, Canterbury, Brisbane and the Tigers are all where one would have expected, all sitting on the bottom with one win from seven matches contested. While a fight shown in the last three weeks by Manly and North Queensland has for the moment put them into the sixth team tie for that equal seventh spot on the ladder. Now none of this means the season will finish in this fashion, but it does currently show that the teams who competed well last season are well in the mix again this season, while the teams that struggled in 2020 are facing the same scenario in 2021. However, the same questions raised last season about the ability of, say, Parramatta and Souths to really contend at the pointy end of the season are still relevant in 2021, despite their record so far. And surely no one really believed that fixing the problems that abound at Canterbury and Brisbane in particular are anything but a three- to five-year project. Whether the pressure on the coaches to perform is any less is probably up for debate, more so at Brisbane and especially at the Tigers than anywhere else. Tigers coach Michael Maguire in particular would be having a pretty dark time of it at the moment, having lost to both to the aforementioned Manly and North Queensland in recent weeks in matches that he must have expected they should win. Their next five weeks will decide not only their season, 
but perhaps the future of the coach, with matches against the Dragons, Titans, Knights, Warriors, and then the Dragons again, which theoretically, on paper at least, are all winnable. Doing that would get the Tigers to a 6-6 six and six record, and back on the precipice of the 8. Anything less than that, coming back into the tougher side of the draw after those matches, would make it very hard for Maguire to justify his position, as well as that of many of the club's players. The Raiders are on shaky ground at 3-4, and four, and face South Sydney, Melbourne and the Roosters in their next five rounds. Losing all three of those matches would have them at 5-7 and seven going into the origin period, and under enormous pressure for the back half of the season. It will be a test of character for the team. If they play at their best, and can win two of those three particular matches against the top echelon teams, they will not only be in a much more comfortable position on the ladder, but will have shown that they are still contenders in 2021. Results the other way would make it very difficult to see them repeating their grand final appearance of a couple of years ago. The Panthers continue to march on, and over the next five rounds play only one team currently residing in the top eight, that being against South Sydney. It doesn't suggest that they will win all of those games, but losing one of them would be something of a shock given that their form line of the past 18 months has been so good. It is a fascinating scenario, one that played out much the same last season, when everyone sat back and was wondering exactly when Penrith would lose a game, which of course ended up being the grand final. Now the thoughts have arisen once again, and the possibility, or probability, that Penrith will be undefeated by the time we reach the, reach the Origin series will only intensify those thoughts going into the second half of the season. And now, here's this week's Talking Point. Is it over the top of me, or for me, to suggest that the spectacle of Rugby League is being ruined, or destroyed, or made completely unwatchable, by the amount of stoppages in play created by either the video review system, or by players trying to force a play to go to the video review system, or by the time and detail that the bunker utilises in trying to come up with what they believe is a fair and correct decision? I don't think it is. And this is even despite the fact that this kind of thing has been happening and increasing over a decade or more. And that the NRL has introduced new rules to try and keep the game from stalling. So here's a small list of things that are annoying the crap out of me greatly about not only league overall, but certainly what has been going on in the first seven weeks of the competition in 2021. Number one, the speed of play. The amount of wasted time that goes into packing scrums or taking taps or taking dropouts. You watch the old games from the 1980s on Fox League whenever you get a chance, and when the ball went out, it came back immediately and the scrum was packed. There's no waiting for a minute for players to assemble and then to make no attempt to pack the scrum until the referee has asked at least half a dozen times and then not put their bloody heads in anyway. And these days, we even have a shot clock, for goodness sakes, for scrums and dropouts. 
which every team waits until the very last second to get to, to get play back underway. Honestly, it is a complete joke. It's funny how at the end of the game, when teams suddenly need every last second to try and get up for a victory or get back into the game, that they suddenly just run at the chance to pack a strum or to get the dropout done. What they should be doing is just simply telling the players once, get your heads in the scrum, feed the ball in the scrum, take the damn drop kick. And if they don't comply, blow the damn whistle and give a penalty. It'll stop pretty quick if you do that a couple of times. If you start treating them like children, then maybe they'll finally get the hang of the fact that they're not running the game, that the referee is. Number two, staying down in tackles to ensure that play is stopped and so that the bunker can have a bit of a look at an incident and hopefully we'll get a penalty out of it. Far out. Look, sometimes it's real. Don't get me wrong. But how many times a match do you see it happen where there has been incidental contact made but the player stays down like all of Rocky's opponents at the start of Rocky 3? It used to be a sign of weakness in the 80s and before that to stay down in tackles. You wouldn't want your opponent to be able to hold it against you. Now it's called gamesmanship and it is what you can hold over your opponent not that you are tough enough to get up and continue, but you, that you are able to milk the situation for a penalty. For goodness sakes, there's a referee and two linesmen out there on the park. If they don't see something illegal in a tackle worth a penalty, then get on with the game. This review, only when time is called off for an injury, is painful. We are paying enough money to have a bunker in place. Surely they can see things like this in real time, and fix them quickly enough without having players having to look to buy a free penalty. Point three, and continuing in this respect, the video review has become like the VAR in soccer, which is the absolutely most hated aspect of the world game at the moment. Every single decision, whether it is over a try or a perceived knock-on and putting a foot into touch, is slowed down to the minutest degree and played in forward and reverse 20 times, stopping, freeze-framed, enhanced, zoomed in, and then we'll do it from five different angles as well and start it all over again, all in order to make a bloody decision. The problem is, and this has been said before and argued about before, but by slowing down everything to a snail's pace, decisions are being overturned from what the referee and fans have seen in normal time and looks perfectly fine in that respect. But by going the four millionth degree in trying to pick up the slightest possible ball separation or a touch on a fingernail or any of those kinds of things that no one would have picked up in normal speed and no one does pick up in normal speed, we're taking the game away from the pure action that makes it a spectacle. Tries are becoming like wickets in bloody cricket. You celebrate a try, but then you actually have to wait for three to five minutes if it is reviewed to see if it will stand. Now, don't get me wrong, there have been occasions where tries have been overturned correctly, but quickly because an obvious area was missed. However, for me, it's the tries that have the bunker going over them with a microscope that become painful and on occasions unfairly overturned. If it isn't plainly obvious a mistake has been made, then let the on-field decision stand. Number four. 
In the old days, just using that a little bit this afternoon, but anyway, in the old days, there was very little debate on the field by players over referees' decisions. I mean, you would argue the decision was made, people would look at each other and say, really? And then get back into position and get ready to go. If they did argue, then they would get marched 10 metres, and Greg Hartley did this all the time. Bill Harrigan was great at it as well. Now, every decision has people in the refs' faces arguing, pointing at the video replay board to say, look at the replay. It's become like soccer. There's players all over the refs. The only thing they're not doing is pushing them around and whatever because that's automatically going to get them sent off. The captain's challenge has helped a little bit with this because refs will say the people are arguing, do you want a challenge? Do you want a challenge? And of course, they don't, and we get on with it. But there's still too much pointing and shouting and booing in the rest faces about every little thing that happens for my liking. All of this goes back to, well, let's face it, manly players. We can go back to Haslam and Tuvi and Lyons back in the 80s and 90s. But you can go back further to Bob Fulton back in the 60s and 70s and early 80s as well. He was also a master at it. Number five, my biggest bugbear, <laughs> forward passes and knock-ons. I, I can't, how is it that the bunker can rule on a knock-on? Going down, slowing it down to the nth degree, seeing that there's a finger, deciding that it's gone forward, which never has, but they can't rule on forward passes. Honestly, on the weekend alone, one in the game, Canterbury got called for a knock-on when it looked like the player had dived in the ball and raked it back to his own try line rather than forward. But because the ball had touched his hand as it was going down, it was called a knock-on. And then we saw the same thing in the Dragons and Roosters game yesterday. Everything, for some reason, if you get a hand on it and it drops to the ground, it's called a knock-on. Now, this didn't happen, of course, in the second Origin game last year. Um, and Sorry, in the first Origin game last year. And it cost New South Wales a victory because, for some reason, a Queensland player was deemed to have knocked the ball back when every other time this happens, it's called a knock-on. And honestly, how many of them are actual knock-ons? How many do you look at and you think, well, it's gone backwards? In fact, his back is to the other trial line and it's come off his hands and gone back towards his own trial line. And yet it's called a knock-on. If it's The rule is knock-on. It's not, oh, I've got a hand on it and it's hit the ground, so it's called a knock-on. It's rubbish. Go back to the actual rule, which is the ball is gone towards the opponent's trial line. I don't... It's just a ridiculous situation where this is continuing to happen, and yet the bunker is allowed to rule on this. The bunker is allowed to rule on which direction it goes, and yet with forward passes they say, "Well, no, the camera angle doesn't show whether the ball has gone forward." Well, that's bullshit. Simply as that. And there are more forward passes now than there ever have before. The number of passes that from the first from the dummy half to the first man off the ruck that go forward that we all see on TV, let alone at the game that go forward, that don't get called, are just ridiculous. How hard is it to, for the man at dummy half to make sure that he passes the ball backwards? And it's always that, you know, by getting that, the player gets momentum because he's already in front of the person when he throws the bloody ball. 
but they don't get called, or they get called. I would I would say one in ten gets called, and we're on TV and we're watching the game, and every five minutes we're saying forward, 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 forward pass. It can't be that hard. It can't be that hard for the bunker to say that's forward, guys, and don't give me this bullshit about you know going backwards from your hands, but you know, being taken forward of the the, middle, the 20 metre line or 30 metre, that's crap. The ball's either gone backwards or forwards. There's no other crap about it. Anyway, that's my talking point this week. Bit of a rant about the way the game's going. And to me, all of this stuff at the moment is really starting to kill the game off as a spectacle. And it's something that needs to be looked at because if you don't stop it now, we're going to get to a point where people are going to stop watching rugby league or they're going to turn off mid-game. And I really hate sounding like Phil Gould in this respect, and I know that Phil Gould has probably brought up this before because I don't listen to Phil Gould anymore. I don't have to. Um, And being compared to Phil Gould at any point in time is a terrible thing. But there are some things that need to be looked at, and these things for me at the moment are what is turning really good games into fairly average games. Let's do something about it, eh? To go. And there it is, one point lead to the Canberra Raiders. have a quick look at the ladder now that we've finished seven rounds and we're starting to see where the season's starting to progress for many of these teams. Out on top, of course, again, the undefeated Panthers, seven from seven on 14 points. Parramatta and South Sydney, both on 12 points. And the Storm and the Roosters are both on 10 points. So they're at the moment, they're the five who have looked the best teams. On eight points, the Dragons, they've had two losses in a row. They're starting to come back to the pack a little bit. They need to find something. There are six teams on six points that stretch from 7th place down to 12th place. And on percentage, that's the Titans and the Raiders making up the eight. And then we have the Warriors, the Knights, the Seagulls and the Cowboys. And who would have thought three weeks ago that the Seagulls and Cowboys would be up there after they'd lost their first uh, first four games? Behind them on four points are the Sharks, who are struggling now that they've uh, given Morris the boot and they've got all sorts of problems happening for them. And at the bottom of the table, the West Tigers, the Broncos, and the Bulldogs, who managed their first victory on the weekend to get them, well, from 16th up to 16th on percentage. Looking at this weekend coming up, and uh, some big games coming up, on Thursday night, the Raiders take on the Rabbitohs in what is a massive game for the Raiders. They need to find something and something quick, uh, and the Rabbitohs will be looking to uh, stop that from happening. On Friday night, we have the Storm against the Sharks. That looks like that's going to be a pizzling down there at Amy Park. And then on Friday night, possibly the least anticipated game all season that could be shown on a Friday night between the Broncos and the Titans. Well done, Channel 9, by continuing to have the Broncos playing every single Friday night. It's killing football. Saturday afternoon, the Panthers play the Seagulls in what a couple of weeks ago looked like it might be a farce and 
given their first uh, perform first game this year, you would think that was the case. But Seagulls are coming back, and if they can keep uh, Tom Trebojevic on the field, they may well make this a game. And then at 5.30 on Saturday, we have the Bulldogs against the Eels. Uh, the Bulldogs, as I said, had their first win. The Eels are riding high, but this is always a tough game. And I can tell you as an Eels supporter, it's uh, one of your least favourite games of the year because they always sort of think the Bulldogs, no matter how they're going, will find a way to get up and beat the Eels. Uh, Saturday night, the Knights take on the Roosters. The Knights have shown a little bit without uh, being brilliant. Uh, the Roosters... Uh, destroyed St George Illawarra on the weekend on the Anzac Day match. Up there at Newcastle, you never know your luck, but the Knights would have to really put everything together to uh, to keep the Roosters at bay, one would think. And on Sunday, Arvo, the Warriors take on the Cowboys in a game that uh, shapes as uh, uh, the winner will probably be able to stick themselves into the eight. And, uh, well, the Cowboys have shown some good form of recent times, and the Warriors, as per usual, are up and down from week to week. And the Sunday late game is the Dragons against the Tigers, and the Dragons have lost two on the trot. The Tigers are losing left, right, and centre and getting their asses kicked. Who knows who's going to win that one? But at home in Wollongong, the Dragons would have to be favourites, and if they can win that, then they keep themselves right in the hunt for a top-four spot at this point in the season, which no one would have believed that was going to be the case. Anyway, there we go. That's this weekend's very quick wrap of the NRL. I hope that all of you who have tuned in uh, have found something of some enjoyment and some discussion points uh, to consider. Um, And let's hope I can uh, get around to doing this again next week. Thank you once again for tuning in to my little podcast and I hope that you'll be back again for the next episode of Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. Cheers.